Hey everyone, you're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. In today's episode, we'll be diving into what's top of mind for us right now, where we'll talk about the most timely and relevant topics that are probably on the minds of a lot of people out there in the HR world. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Modern People Leader, everyone. So for, for our listeners, we have four return guests for our first ever group discussion. We have Dilshan from Securonix, Lindsay from Jiffy Lube, Kristen from Groupon, and Rihanna from Kushco. So yeah, welcome back. We're happy to, to have everyone here today. Happy to be here. Looking forward awesome. to it. Yep, looking forward to it. Yeah, so we have we have four amazing guests that are all from very different spaces, and we wanted to talk about some of the trending, uh, I guess, topics that that we've seen in the news the past few weeks. So to kick it off, we wanted to talk about the return to office, and you know, just kind of get a sense for for how everyone's approaching the return to office, and then we will segue into talking about the great resignation and the war for talent that's happening right now um, and what HR can do about it. So to get us started, I'll just ask the group, how many of y'all have figured out your return to office strategy? I will, I will start and say, I have it all figured out now. All, 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 uh, all, all kidding aside, I'm sure my colleagues will add, look, directionally, we know where we wanna go. It's a very iterative process. It's a very uh, uh, fragile and agile process. You have to be very willing to uh, shift and turn as things turn. But the reality is that we have an idea of what we wanna do, but that idea keeps shifting. And so my takeaway is be agile, go after the outcome you want and be flexible. And that's what we're doing with all our executive. In my case, I have a global organization. So I had to think about this in a global context and that adds a level of complexity, but in even that the whole model of have a plan, but be flexible with the plan seems to be very much giving me and the executive team comfort. So I'm curious, how, how has that plan shifted over the past four or five months? Well, I'll give you an example. I, we had a plan of coming back to sort of a working situation and I want I'll describe that intentionally working situation in somewhere in September. We were in an in-office culture um, and we have flexed that to be a hybrid culture for sure. And we just got that confirmed. We had a lot of debate on the executive team. We are growing at 89% headcount. As you guys know, cybersecurity is moving in the nanosecond. Being a part means we we flinch our eyes and competition has moved. So we had an idea of being together was better. But you know the fact is the market is going to hybrid and we're gonna lose candidates if we don't become flexible. So on a market basis, we have adjusted. The other part is we wanted to bring all our countries back into the same place. You wanna shift, particularly in a dev environment, you wanna shift the whole dev group in, in tranches. But as you guys know, um, India is in a bad spot and you know it's certainly not at the place they wanna be. So I had to adjust to that country, because I have about 40% of my labor out there. I had a plan of having them in September, but the outlook of them coming back is probably Q2 of next year, right? So that's the stuff that has changed literally in the last week. And, and I'll, I'll piggyback on that because my I have 25% of my workforce at Groupon in India as well. So we've definitely had to 
pivot our strategy and monitor kind of the local markets, India being one of those big ones where we've had to make some big statements. And, and we have come out and said, like our colleagues in India, we're not anticipating returning to an office environment until Q2 of 2022. Whereas we have offices in Spain that have reopened and countries that have been progressing more. We are able to see people coming back, but what we're seeing, we had our Seattle office today open. We had nine people come in, right? So we're, we're not seeing the desire from the employee base to come back. And I anticipate that as something that will continue to be a challenge where we've also adopted a hybrid model, right? And we've said in most cases, people coming back to the office probably two, three days a week. And I anticipate that will, that will even be a challenge for, for some teams. Yeah, Kristen, piggybacking off of that from a U.S. market perspective, you know, to deal Sean's point as well, here at Kushka, trying to be really flexible. And the plans have been changing literally on a week-to-week basis. Um, we did survey our employees, do you want to come back? 85% of our employees said yes. So we said, okay new plan, you want to come back? This is awesome. I would say the 15% that opted out, um, either you're already an essential worker, so you're in office, or you are a permanent remote remote worker. Um, so we opted to open our offices on a voluntary basis just to see what type of traction we would get since 85% said they wanted to come back. I think day one was five of us in the office. So we're kind of bouncing between, you know, sub a dozen people in the office, but our intent is, is really to try to re-engage and you know we've targeted more of a September date I'm trying to re-engage in the in-office in a hybrid format as well. Um, what do you say, Lindsay? Yeah for for Jiffy Lube one percent of my workforce is office-based um, <laughs> so we've, we've been essential workers working throughout the pandemic but here in our support center largely the same we did not take a draconian approach. We had conversations with our support center teammates and asked them what they wanted to do. And similarly, um, most of them wanted hybrid. There were some that wanted 100% remote work and we've accommodated those requests in most cases. We did look at the type of work that they do. Is, it, is there a need for uh, creativity or collaboration? If there was, we encouraged at least some touch points. And kind of engaged with them to say, okay, if you want primarily remote, when would you be able to come in? Could you come in maybe once a month or twice a month and just reach uh, mutual agreements with all of our teammates in the support center? Quite frankly, doing so was um, beneficial to us because we're going to rethink our workspace. We have traditional space now. We occupied two floors. We're able to go to one floor. We're gonna open things up a little bit and have flex space and jump space. So when people are here, the space will be much more collaborative. So we're looking forward to that kind of new future. And it gave us the opportunity to, to kind of reimagine the space that we're in. So it sounds like it's very much a work in progress in terms of finalizing the plan or working through the plan and, and you know, Honestly, that doesn't surprise me that a lot of the conversations I've had, people are still trying to figure it out. I think it's been way more complicated than we would have expected it to, partly due to the pandemic continuing on if you're if you have a global footprint. But even then, like locally, there are a lot of factors at play with just hybrid itself. Um, and I want to I want to dig into some of that, but before I do, I, I'm just curious. Apple made a huge splash in the news this week with yep. their decision 
and essentially making a return to the office hybrid return mandatory and only allowing a fully remote option if you have executive level approval. That feels a little extreme to me. I'm just curious, like what are the, the reactions from you all on that news and what are the implications of taking a mandatory position on this? I, I'm gonna, I'll say something because I've been thinking about this because I'm living it a little bit. I will say this on behalf of myself, my company and any other executive team. Executive teams around the world have to make the best decision for their, their company. So I'm not gonna criticize anybody else's view. Sounds like Apple made a decision and you know I'm all into people who can make decisions. So good for them. I believe at some point we are going to be mandatory, but at the beginning we're gonna be flexible because I think we are not ready for the shift. Interesting, interesting, yeah. I, I, are there any other thoughts? Kristen, Lindsay? Yeah, I mean, it is difficult, right? And I think we previously said even like our executive team wasn't 100% aligned on this, right? Everyone has very different opinions. And when you have such different lines of businesses within the company as well, it's hard because like our North America sales team is going to explore a fully remote structure right? Our international sales team is not going to follow that approach. That's going to cause internal issues as well, right? We have customer service agents who a company perspective is that they cannot appropriately do their jobs as well as efficiently from home. So they will be expected to be in the office um, essentially five days a week and earn flexibility through hitting their KPIs. Whereas the majority of our other workforce is all professional environments and we and we we had flexibility pre-COVID, right? So it's not much of a shift for if we think of our engineers, our product managers, our corporate functions. So it it's it's kind of hit or miss, right? People are people are always going to be upset with the decision. It's just about kind of making it and seeing how it goes and adjusting as necessary. Absolutely. And I fully agree with you. I think we're going to learn a lot. And I will tell you just to add to that. I don't know about you guys. I've generally was a very human HR relations guy. And even now I feel like we're getting so close to our employees in discussions that we have never had to have before in our whole life because of what's happening. It's so individualized these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love the way you set that up, Dilshan, in terms of, you know, they, they made a decision and, and I'm not going to criticize the decision that they made that they thought was best for their culture of learning. And certainly we can all commend Apple for being one of the best innovative companies um, in the world. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And, and I don't think that it, all companies can take the same point of view. I don't think there's a right answer. You know, for us, we're just trying to take the most humanistic point of view and we haven't been that decisive around the strategy because we want to really learn. We've never, we've never, this is uncharted water for everyone. So we don't exactly know what the exact right answer is. We're just trying to make it individualized. And Lindsay, to so, that point, I don't think there is an exact right answer. Um, I think it is what works best for your industry, your employees, your management team, the type of business that we're in, you know, the, the countries that we service. 
um, and, and make the best possible solution. And I'm all with you still, Sean, on this because it's like, make a decision and let's stick to it. You know, and it's like, we all were forced to go home or, or predominantly for those of us who were accustomed to going into the office. I think, you know, there has to be consideration for that step process to then leave our homes to go back to the office and what that, you know, kind of change management plan looks like. So, you know, here at Cush, we know that our employees do want to return. That means something different for everyone. And so really having those conversations to say, what's going to work for you, your manager, your particular executive and the customers you service, so on and so forth. So we've opened up in a voluntary capacity to come back into the location with really the consideration that we would like to return in a hybrid format in the near future, I think maybe post-summer break. But really, again, with how much flexibility, adaptability that we need to continue, I think this will be a continuous evolution of kind of pulse, check, and adjust to really kind of determine what works best for our organization and our employees and customer base. That that all makes a lot of sense. I'm just curious at an executive level, what are these what do these conversations look like? Because at the end of the day, executives are humans too. And I'm sure there's a lot of opinions and I'm sure it's hard to, you know, as you were saying, Dilshan, make a decision. So <laughs> what give me like a a peek behind the curtains of, of what these conversations look like? Well, I'll let one of my peers go and then I'll kind of jump in. I hope none of my ELC peers are going to listen to my update, but I'm happy to give you a full bird's eye view, but <laughs> I'll pick somebody else. <laughs> I'll, I'll go since I have the smallest um, you know, office workforce. I think there was some constructive points of view But at the end of the day, we reached consensus with essentially, we provided general guidelines depending upon what type of work you do. And then we allowed each department head to have one-on-one conversations with their employees to come back to us and let us know how people wanted to proceed. And that's what we did and and it, it worked okay. I think we're, the fact that people were at home for a long period of time and the work still continued to get done was a helpful, you know, data point, but we did, we did feel like our culture was starting to erode. There were elements of maybe just trust wasn't as strong. Collaboration wasn't happening and it feels good to be back and and working alongside each other, having those hallway conversations. For my work style, personally, I I thrive in, you know, in the workplace environment here. And I know some of my peers as well. So um, we, we got there eventually. Very cool. So I think from a, a Kushko perspective, which what makes our organization unique is our CEO is our co-founder. And so, you know, you've grown your organization over a decade by being in person. And so that is the model that you know. And so when we really were forced to go home, we really had to instill a lot of trust into our employees and our managers to figure out how to reach that optimum productivity. And so with a lot of leaning in from this particular executive team to really trust the process, and we did find that through survey data, really connecting with employees through a number of employee resource groups that we were able to take virtual, we were able to show that we were still being very productive as a collective organization. So we've had kind of this this beta of a year testing this. And so we've been able to come back together to say, well, we now know that this can actually work. And so able, you know, kind of, I guess, from my perspective, you know, in HR watching that pendulum swing and the openness that has really occurred over this last year from when I joined, it was like, we are in office, relocate people to this office, relocate them to the state to, 
hey, Rihanna, where are you picking up talent today? Go get the best talent. Like it's a major shift in such a short period of time. But for me, it's been really refreshing to see that, you know, go get top talent where we can find them, which gets into probably the later part of the conversation on what's happening from a marketplace perspective. And I think we really have landed on, we do see a lot of value in the collaboration aspect. We've learned to kind of trust our employees to get work done with wherever they are. Now we need our employees to trust us. When we put together a plan to say, we would love for you to come in and be able to, you know, collaborate once a week or twice a week, that we'll be able to do that and really kind of move our agenda forward. I think what you said, Rihanna, about like the top talent piece, right? Like bring in the best people. Mm-hmm. I think that that eventually became a big shift in our strategy. And one of the driving factors, I believe, that got the executive team okay with each leader having a different strategy. We provided kind of an overarching philosophy that everyone was agreed and aligned to, but then we we were consciously okay with people doing different things for their teams where it made sense to do so. And I mean, especially in the tech space, the war on talent's crazy, right? Like, and it's, we, we have to be able to not just financially compensate people, but be competitive in terms of what we're offering from a work-life balance standpoint, working in the office, um, being remote in those cases. So I think that was one of the driving factors that we tried to pursue to say like, if we want to be able to continue to recruit in this environment, we're gonna have to be okay with everyone doing things a little bit differently. Yeah, Kristen, to that point, interesting, because you said work-life balance, right? So I'm sure all of you have seen the HR magazine that just came out um, that, you know, does a nice job of recapping the life, you know, that we're living currently, but 23% of employees in this survey from the engagement and retention report, you know, does state that employees will stay with their current organization if you can maintain for them a meaningful work-life balance. So I thought that was interesting that you happened to mention it because, you know, we're, we're also seeing reports that indicate that trend. So, Daniel, you asked about what was happening in the executive team, right? Is that the question? Yeah, yeah. So, I will give you a view pre. So, I started with Securonics in the summer. Pandemic had already started. My understanding from being onboarded was the team was still distributed because it's a tech company. I think to Kristen's point of view, I think we are generally distributed but they were high contact. They were highly communicative. They they were always on planes, visiting with each other, particularly our sales organization who loves to see clients. They were all told to sit down in their homes, in their media rooms. They were getting acclimated to their families. All of that was going on. I think our biggest struggle at the executive team was how do we engage clients, right? How do we solve their problems? Clients were dealing with their own personal issues as human beings, their own organizations. How do you get mindshare? So that was a challenge during the time I entered. And I think I gave this team a view. Year to date, I've hired 86 or 82% of the organization. Since I've been here, we have hired 67% of the organization. So let's just say that over, if I do the right numbers right, 70 plus percent of my organizations not met each other. Imagine that. We had to build trust at the frontline level, at the mid level, and at the executive level virtually. Um, We have done that. And I think there are some things that have gone well, 
Some things are on a TBD. I'll give you an example. My head of engineering, who is a founder, he has the area that's the most difficult to recruit. We are very good friends, but we are a little grumpy with each other on delivery of talent sometimes. I, he and I had to work virtually over Zoom, blah, blah, blah. Most recently, we met each other physically in the office. We talked, gave him a couple of fist bumps and I told him I won't fail him. He said, look, dude, I'm just trying to like build my business. The whole relationship was changed. I am telling you that was a in-office versus virtual situation. So I'm just describing these challenges are going on. We are all waiting to come to, to Lindsay's point, being human, being with each other, there's so many messages that you send that you can't send through Zoom, right? Um, so that is the journey that we have taken. Where are we trying to go? We are all at different places. Our legal team is trying to make sure that we are legally trying to do everything right. And even legal stuff's hard because even the government agencies are formulating ideas as they go on the fly. Our uh, dev teams are trying to make sure when they shift from the current mode of working to a hybrid model that productivity doesn't go down because now for almost a year and a half, we've gotten used to that way of working. Our sales teams are like, guys, I've been asking you before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and now at the, the, the taping off of the US part, can I go see customers now? Like right now, I, I told you this a year ago, I'm repeating myself, do I need to repeat myself again? So that's, that's the, the move. And then the employees are like, I am still figuring it out. I think, you know, we got some stats here. 65% of my organization is mentally ready to be in a hybrid organization. Uh, I think the rest of the gang is, we'll wait and see. And 10% of my organization is, I still don't know whether I want to even come to work. So I think the, the human beings are moving towards the change but there's still a work in progress. And so is our executive team. Yeah, I think it's, it's hard, right? Leaders have a fiduciary responsibility. They, they have to grow the business. They need to increase the value of the organization. And so much of businesses is playbook driven, uh, formulaic, you follow, you know, the private equity playbook or, you know, whatever playbook, the growth playbook. And all of those playbooks are based on an in-office model, right? This is a whole new, new conundrum that we're in. And it's like, do we, do we go back to the way things were, which will help us keep the culture that we had? Or do we try to like re, you know, evolve our culture and essentially all the, risk everything that's involved in, in a cultural transformation. And I think the reality is it's going to be a bit of both. And the, the interesting thing to me is there's a Newsweek article that Daniel found and it, it's based on corn fairy data. And it says, one of the quotes is, while 83% of CEOs want employees to return in person, only 10% of employees want to come back full time. And I think that that is, is probably, you know, as a, as a CEO myself, I know that feeling, right? It would make life so much easier if we could go back to the way things were and we could all be in the office together. And there's, you know, the no knowns that, that, and that are related to that, but it feels as though there's still this pressure or this desire 
from the workforce. And there have been a lot of articles about the great resignation, a lot of articles about the power that the workforce has. And, and I think it's going to, it's going to create an interesting, you know, year, two years ahead of us. And so when we think about that, that disconnect between what leadership ideally would like to have and what employees are prepared to do. I'm just curious, like what, what do you all think is, is driving that? I mean, some of, it sounds like some of the, the data that, that you're gathering from your, from your workforce is showing is, is a little different. And I think you're right. There's a lot in between. I think there's some extremes, but most are probably somewhere in between. And so what, what do you think is causing that disconnect? And, you know, do you, are you concerned about the, these reports of the great resignation? Wants to take that. I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm as usual kicking that can down the road. I'll take it first. Um, uh, I'll, I'll answer the back part of the question. I am concerned about the great resignation. And if you're not concerned about it and you wait, then you probably are going to be a victim <laughs> in, in a big way. So we're trying to get ahead of it. We are, um, you know, thinking about it in three different buckets, which is, you know, wages, pay, benefits, and then opportunities for growth and development. We're just trying to keep it as simple as possible and just think about what we have in each of those baskets currently and what we can do to you know, ensure that we're as competitive as we need to be in those three different areas. So those are the conversations that we're having on a daily basis. And um, we've, we've got a lot of different ideas teed up and some really creative things um, that you know, we'll, we'll kind of choose from to try to tackle this because it's not going to be a silver bullet. People all want different things from work. So to the extent we can round it out and uh, comprehensively look at it from a total rewards perspective, I think the better off we'll be. I'll, I'll just piggyback on what Lindsay said. I think that all our organizations are gonna have a rude awakening because I think people have soul searched a lot. It's gonna happen and I can see in my own house, how that's playing out with my spouse and the decisions she's trying to make. So that's close to me. I walk out to my neighbors and they're talking about it. You don't need like a lot of data to research this. I have friends calling me randomly saying, hey, I know you're good at this stuff. Can, can we think this through? The frequency has increased and it's very interesting. People are soul searching. So that's my private research on Rose Baycourt in, in Trophy Club, okay? Um, on, 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 the larger, on the larger spectrum, I have a business view that all our organizations have not been operating at optimal levels. If any of my peers say yes to that, then I'll have to go check out their place. But we have opportunities as business. We have not been able to invest in the right things. We have taken some, um, we've invested in different priorities. So what I'm doing with my team is taking an end-to-end -end look at the business and looking at the heat map of what's red, what's orange and what's green and going to the executive team and saying, I wanna invest in these areas. So I asked three questions that people can look, look at it from a people's perspective. Pay me, invest me, invest in me and grow me. Are those three areas at a red, green or orange? And you take the money you have, you take the time you have and you have to make those investments even without worrying about the great uh, resignation, 
because the great resignation happens because of those three things. And the other one is you've got to double down on your communication. This is not the time to slow down your communication. This is the time to double on your communication, increase empathy, and then you've got to investigate your culture. Is your culture rich? We have a work-life balance issue. I think everybody says, hey, it's a fast-paced company, so a work-life balance issue makes sense. But I had to convince our team that that is going to be a decision people are going to make when they have options. And I know, Stephen, you have helped me with this. I have now put work-life balance on the executive KPIs for the bonuses because we are going to get rewarded or penalized based on how our people feel. That was radical for our team, but I am a concern about the great resignation, but we need to get back to the basics. Yeah, I think those, those viewpoints are spot on. Um, very similar approach that, that Kush was taking as well. I think um, you know, we are in the middle of a merger with Greenlane Holdings. And so that has brought a lot of certainty already upon uncertain times, right? Um, so with the announcement of that, I would say both organizations did see an uptick in, in you know, attrition, which we expected it. I would say, think we were a little caught off guard at kind of the, the accelerated rate versus the let's get through some of the people planning and make those you know, conversations known and really kind of address the org holistically. So I would say spot on, we're looking at it from a holistic total rewards perspective. We've also been doing, you know, a lot more hands-on with our managers. Um, get to know your people. We are all motivated by different things. So what makes that one in particular individual tick? And let's really get to kind of that root cause so that we can, you know, increase our success of having that individual stay, you know, on Team Kush, you know, hopefully in the pro forma organization, um, you know, we do a lot of surveys. Our employees are like, please stop surveying. But I feel like if we take our, you know, pedal off the gas, we're going to miss out because we're going to miss that thing that suddenly has changed. So they can continue to be annoyed at me. I'm going to continue to pulse check because we've seen some shifts in the data and that's allowed us to really react quickly versus maybe solely relying on that manager to bubble it back up to us. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. We have doubled down in communications and uh, we're not going to stop. Yeah, I... Everything everyone said really resonates with me. I think the only kind of additional point to make that that echoes the piece about communication is we have a monthly managers meeting and the feedback that we continue to get, especially since we are all remote right now in these times, um, really working with the comms team to say, we're only having directors and above in this meeting, right? We expect that they then disseminate the information to their staff so that they can understand what's going on, the progress that we're making, what our strategy is. And the strategy for us is a big one, um, especially with kind of the transformation that we've been going through over the last couple of years. And we can't expect every leader to be able to decipher 30 slides and appropriately you know, communicate to that to their team. So we are starting next month now the comms team will provide talking points when we share that deck so that, again, that it helps facilitate that communication. So it doesn't matter if directors and above know what's going on in the organization. Like everyone has to feel confident. Everyone has to be bought into the strategy to know where we're going. Absolutely. I think that, Christian, you, you, you hit on something very important, that psychological connection and that message getting down to the front line um, it, it's been said by many people, so it's like, hey, we're repeating it, but the care for that has to be at the utmost it's ever been. Yeah, yeah. agreed. 
It's so, interesting, the, the topic of communication coming up. I, I have another, both Daniel and I have side podcasts. We're going all in. And uh, I have another podcast called Engagement Experts. And we just, you know, we had a, uh, a live session yesterday. And uh, a great gentleman, his name's Nikhil Paul. He is a leadership coach, trainer. And we were talking about how we both believe we're entering a new kind of phase or a new level of importance in internal communications and the importance of like, you know, I, I feel like that's a really hot job if you are an yeah. internal comms focusing on people communications, like mm -hmm. that is a great place to be right now because, you know, I believe in, in if in most of you in your individual conversations we had, if not all of you, we talked about employer branding. We talked about, you know, communicating what you're doing differently. And, um, and the need to do that is, in my view, even more important now. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of decreases in scores in our engagement data over the last couple of quarters. And uh, leadership, communication, and the, the tie between leadership and communication have, have been some of the highest dropping questions. And, and I believe that the reason for that is like, you know, now that leaders are shifting to other things like a return to office, you know, it's taken focus away from things that we were communicating frequently about. And, you know, the, 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 I think that's the exact opposite of what needs to be happening. And the reality is, you know, your leaders do need to focus on other things. However, you know, to, to Kristen's point, I think there is a real need for all of the internal comms uh, professionals out there or that, you know, as people leaders, we are engaging our communications team to help, you know, craft the messaging, find the right cadence, ensure that we're communicating on the right things, because I think that that's going to be a key differentiator between the people that keep the, their talent and those that lose their talent. I feel like you guys have been yeah, I, listening in on conversations that I've been having over the last week. <laughs> um, we are looking at um, bringing on, you know, a, a social media branding influencer just to engage uh, millennial talent, or I guess it's millennial uh, into our workforce. I mean, people are using TikTok. You get a hiring on TikTok and Chick-fil-A. I mean, the, the, some of the biggest brands, that's how they're attracting candidates right now. And we don't even have a TikTok presence. So we are, you know, it, we have to, it's not a point of uh, like a luxury anymore. It's a point of survival that in order to continue to attract this talent, we need to meet them where they are. And additionally, same conversation with internal comms. We do not have a dedicated team for that. That's, you know, a lot of um, work that, that I do and my CEO does and our um, CMO does. And so we're looking to uh, augment that function. That was one that I've been doing research on that there's a lot of freelance work available. And as a lot of people have been leaving more corporate jobs and traditional um, internal comms jobs, they're looking to support multiple clients. And so I'm going to see if that might be something that can help us meet that need. Or you and I can share someone. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, I need them. I need it on that too, because uh, that also is an investment area for us here at Cush because we also don't have that, Lindsay, very similar. You know, we manage a lot of that communication. We're also seeing the need for it. I mean, I think we've done a great job as an organization of doing, you know, town halls 
um, on a monthly basis, all the way down with the news of, you know, our, our pending merger, we've increased that frequency to town halt all the way down every other week. But I need a dedicated internal comms expert in this space that can make sure that we're really hitting that mark. Um, and so that's an investment for us. And I would say also, we've had a lot of conversations. I feel like we're having the same conversation. So this is great from a social perspective, right? And, and how we're actually attracting, you know, candidates and, and where we're spending time. So TikTok has, has come up this week for, for us as well. Yeah, I agree with you, Lindsay. I think that the comms role has been overly highlighted in the HR function, right? I mean, I am doing more comms than ever done before, possibly because I don't have my own comms team because this is more of a hyper growth startup. But I would say the, the tip of the spear work is in communications. And I think you were just uh, talking about social media. I used to think I was on top of this. So LinkedIn, Facebook, you get it to Instagram maybe, but once you get to TikTok and stuff, you start to realize you need another generation of communicators to join us, right? So it's a very real thing and it's not a nice to have, it's become a need to have if you want to compete. So earlier, Lindsay mentioned that, that it felt like while people were being productive, working from home, that the culture had started to erode a little bit. And I know that must be a scary feeling as an HR leader. And with the, the future of work looking different to different people, whether they want to be in office full-time or they want to be remote or they want to be hybrid and possibly at one specific company, you could have people that fall within all three of those buckets. How do you create a new culture that, that like works for everyone and is meaningful for everyone when everyone is looking for something a bit different from the company? Um, I've been thinking a lot about that. And at the end of the day, we all have to be aligned around, you know, our, our vision and our purpose and helping people. So I, I think that alignment around mission, vision, values becomes even more important than it was in the past. So you have something that unifies everyone towards a common goal and to really profoundly believe in that. And I think that's also going to be part of the great resignation is if you don't really believe in your company's mission and what you do and you don't find purpose from it, then go somewhere else. There's plenty of opportunities elsewhere, you know, as, as we're seeing. So I guess just a for us, it's, it's, it's the noble purpose. I think, you know, I, I think if you're asking about how do you keep company culture, that's been hard. I mean, I would be absolutely transparent that company culture has taken some erosion. On the opposite side, I have, we have challenged our small group leaders, whether it's a manager or it's a director to personalize their engagement with their team because there's no way that any one of us would understand what that team needs versus what that manager would want. And I think those are basics you assume, but we are facilitating that at talk show, talk uh, events or national sort of events we have and empowering those managers to self heal their teams in the way they want to, because they know them best and it's a personalized relationship they should be empowered to have. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think it goes, some of it goes back to the basics because culture is such a hard thing to crack, right? And it's, it's really just 
giving managers the reminder and the push to say like every meeting is not like a solving the world one-on-one -on -one where you just work through everything like and we encourage the managers to have a quarterly engagement check-in with each of their team members to have a development check-in to explicitly talk through like what that path looks like where do they feel that they need some extra support to take it out of just the okay Rihanna and I are having our weekly one-on-one -on -one. what do we need to get through to execute right and and making sure that you're taking time to have those other conversations um we definitely haven't we haven't cracked this one i think the culture is going to continue to be a challenge for us and again like groupon's gone through a multi-year multi-phase restructuring which we're finally now done with as of yesterday so i think it's it's truly a time for us to rebuild and re-energize and just gain that trust back from the from the broader workforce absolutely so Shifting gears a little bit um, and looping back to something that came up earlier, the topic of total rewards came up. And I think that one of the things, one of the tools in our arsenal uh, of, of things that we can leverage to retain talent, it's benefits, right? And that was a, a, a and, and I think, you know, Culture is a very complicated, uh, very complicated topic, and and it's hard to like take get quick wins out of culture because culture is a living, breathing thing that ebbs and flows over time. Benefits can be can be a quick win. I'm just curious if there are any any new benefits or changes to benefits that you all are considering going into this hybrid approach or whatever the future looks like. I know. Summer is is a time where we start planning and looking forward to, to to the next year. Just curious, are there any new line items in the budgets for for benefits, employee benefits, or just any total reward item for next year? Stephen, we just had our planning session to look at the the total package of the benefits and carriers and our spend for next year and. Um, we have so many different levers that we're looking at in terms of enhancing um, our telemedicine option and maybe even lowering the premium on that. Um, <clears throat> financial wellness, mental wellness, of course, well-being is going to be a big focus for this year. But in terms of the, the financial education, just an investment in coaches and, and a program that our teammates can leverage, we've kind of narrowed the, the vendors down and we're uh, getting closer to that. So we're trying to step more into just your traditional benefits offering, but into more of a holistic approach around being well and, and wellness, but also getting pretty aggressive on premiums and creative to, it, to, to continue to absorb more of that cost so that it really does create more of a, a value proposition from a benefit, not, not maybe just your traditional, we, we really want to be the leader in the hourly retail space for providing some of the best plans that you can get for the money. Yeah, I would say what Lindsay said in a short way, I, I actually never had total rewards as a part of my um, job structure. So last year was my first year. So I was like, yeah, I finally get to go mess around with the COE that I never got to mess around with. It's a hard freaking job. Okay. It's a hard job. Uh, I can say that to all my total rewards colleagues that I ever had before and for all the bad things I've done. I'm sorry, public 
broadcast. Um, <laughs> Having started in Total Rewards, I will accept your apology. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> it's, it's a really, really hard job. But I would tell you, coming from the HRBP side, I mean, I decided to go back again. You heard go back to basics. Lindsay just said it. Premiums were rising in the, particularly North America. They were rising and I did the model with our team. We absorbed the total cost and we didn't pass it through the employee. And one thing I did, and Lindsay knows me a little bit, the rest of you guys kind of get in and know me. I like to communicate things. So I communicated that publicly saying, this is how much is rising. We love you guys so much. We are not passing it through. And here's what it is. What it did for us is enrollment was at 82%. Our enrollment's at 92%. People who didn't know about the program and people are like, oh, I, this is a new program. Thank you, Dilshan. It's been there for three years. They didn't know about it. And so we doubled that down and I called all the, the providers, every partner that was working for me saying, look, you guys may be making some easy money. I want you to be partnered with me. I wanted to show up. I wanted to have town halls. I wanted to educate my people and show up like a partner. So we did a lot of communication there. The second one we did was we doubled on EAP services. Uh, we have EAP in the US, but we didn't have enhanced services globally. So we doubled down on EAP, particularly with COVID, people wanted to have uh, a lot of support from an EAP structure. So those are the two things we did. And I think the third one we did was we asked our employees what they wanted. We got a wide variety of opinions. I picked two or three of them and I delivered into the program. So that's kind of the, I mean, if you wanna know, my last year's version. Now this year I need to come up with a little bit more uh, tricks and uh, upsell on all the things I'm doing, but that was the basics and I, you can see the benefits of that. Delshan, I think we did something very similar at, at Cushion my year one coming into year two, we'll look to expand upon that. But heavy focus, I would say, Lindsay, to your point in wholeness or, or, you know, whole well-being. So a lot around 401k. So we've implemented that since I joined the organization with three and a half percent match with a very short window with a very short kind of full best option. So in communicating that, right, this is what market says. And we love you so much that we're going to accelerate that because it does, you know, kind of show we love our employees, but also we want to invest in you. We also did look at tenure, right? Like what is the average tenure? What other kind of retention levers do we have? We, we double down at EAP as well. And then we've done a lot through other kind of third-party applications. So, you know, headspace and we're running, you know, competitions from that perspective, just to name one vendor. We're doing a lot from, you know, physical health and wellness and turning them into friendly competitions, right? It gets us out for those of us that are home and moving and then communicating that back through our various employees resource groups to talk about various culture initiatives. So it's coming up from our employees on what they want to do, where they want to spend the money, how they want to kind of spend the time. And we've seen engagement scores rise, I think, because of that. We will have to work really aggressively on benefit offerings. We've seen some preliminary numbers. Per usual, premiums are going back up, but we don't want to change our contribution strategy. We made a pretty favorable shift from an employee base last year, and we want to keep that progression going. So going to be, I think, fierce again this year with our brokers helping us, making sure that we keep those offerings and, and, and add to and enhance those offerings going forward. Yeah, I'm so like, I was so curious about this, your all of your perspectives, because we're just starting the dialogue on, you know, not only the overall benefits package, but what other potential, like low cost 
benefits, like non-financial benefits can we add, whether it's like a partnership with food delivery for employees so that as people are still transitioning back, that if there's a in office lunch, we can still offer that to those employees who are at home or like Rihanna, you said the headspace piece and how can we integrate that to a competition to get people engaged in that. I think that that's going to be a big one to kind of differentiate and, and offer some key wins that employees will see as valuable that isn't just keeping your premium flat, right? Which is important, but I think some of these other things may start to creep up in the next year or so. Yeah, Christian, I, I think you're absolutely right, right? There's a lot of little things that we don't consider. My former company, they bought a company to uh, fill gas. And I never thought much of it, but there's a lot of employees who have a few big commute and the cost was minimal to the company or some liability that they had to sign off on. But there's a lot of people that that was really cool for, right? I mean, and, and so you got to do that. And I think the other one is you got to... Um, do some program management on some low-hanging fruit that probably create value for those employees, we may not even know that that's a value for them. And I've started to learn that are things that I thought that were valuable that are not valuable and that are other things that are more valuable. So it's an interesting yeah. dialogue. Yeah. yeah, listening, you learn so much more than anything else because I made assumptions as well and we did some focus groups around total rewards and what people valued. And I learned just how humble and thankful our teammates are it was it was humbling for me I mean they they want things like a, a Jiffy Lube polo they want things like um new shoes on a on a work anniversary um I was expecting something very different than that so you you know listen first before you assume yeah and it's so different globally right like in different regions what people value so that'll be challenge for all of us to continue to figure out what makes the most sense in our respective organizations. Well, Kristen, yeah. I mean, you probably had this because you said Bangalore. We just did two vaccine drives. Yep. I am from originally from Sri Lanka. I have an appreciation for Southeast Asia, but I've been in the U.S. for a better part of 25 years. Getting access to vaccines was hard, right? And we did everything possible. We are a much smaller company than a large company. So we didn't have the economic positioning to get it, but I partnered with two companies, but the gratefulness and the appreciation for that was different. And here in North America, we wouldn't have even imagined that that was something that we needed to support. Yep, we did. We also did a drive in Bangalore. We did one in Chennai, and then we partnered with the American Indian Foundation to do a fundraiser where we raised, I think the numbers just came in this week. It was just under $40,000 that were, wow. that we contributed. Awesome. Yeah. So on the vaccine front here domestically, I thought it would be really noble to offer them for the support center. We had like two people take us up. <laughs> but, but that's the point. Uh, yeah. right? It depends on what people value, right? Here we go and we can get access to it, but it you have to think about that context to that particular geo region. Even in North America, you had to yeah. look at these uh, regions and how people value things. Yeah. Kristen, I love that you are thinking about food delivery, like some sort of partnership. We're seeing already a lot of feedback and chatter in our data around inequity between the people that are in office and the people that are working remotely and little things like it's not, it's, it's typical, particularly in the high tech world for headquarters employees and like 
satellite, larger satellite offices to have a catered lunch or like every Friday or Taco Tuesday, whatever it may be, depending on the level of generosity from the company. But that is like a new, and, and if you work remotely, like you work remotely, but now with re working remote being a more prominent thing, it's like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> you know, that we don't get that anymore. And, and, but there is a flip side to that also like, well, you're also not commuting and it's also easier for you to integrate your personal life and go into the cleaners whenever you want to do that. But I love the creative solutioning around like, okay, that, that could be a very easy way to offset that, that I guess employee complaint or issue and in a very easy and kind of practical way. A couple, another thing that we're, we're seeing um, a lot of, or at least it's coming up a lot in the conversations that, that I've been a part of is um, investing in like team assessments. And I know that that's less a total reward thing and more of a talent management exercise. But, you know, in this, you know, the last 15, 18 months, we haven't worked together. Well, we've, we've worked through these little boxes of Zoom. Um, we, many, many of us have never met our colleagues and yet here we are like a year, year and a half later, like considering that we know each other and it's been a long time, whether it's a disc profile or I know Deloitte has a business chemistry thing, but that's another thing that I see being invested in, in terms of just how do we better understand each other as individuals and work better together as teams? So yeah, and sometimes like people might think that's corny, right? But like I have a HR summit plan three weeks from now, obviously virtually, and the global team hasn't all you know gotten together in in years, right? So we've had people leave, people come. So that is our kickoff exercise that everyone had the pre work to go do their assessment, and we're going to have our talent development team take us take us through what that means and how we can best work together because I do think that that is is a tool that can help bring the team together and feel that level of connection that they've been missing. Yeah, I think that's spot on. So part of our you know continued roadmap from an L and D perspective. We've heard a lot about it today, getting back to the basics. And so as, you know, kind of this organization here at Kush, we've never taken the time to do those assessments. And so we kicked off about two quarters ago with DISC, something that I personally can train in how easy to understand. Um, cue the eye rolls from, you know, probably some managers like, I've done this. Why am I doing this again? I know who I am. I know how to work with my team. Um, and I was surprised with the overwhelming positive feedback that has come from these sessions. I, I think that, you know, with us being home largely, I mean, yes, our sales team wants to be out and about, um, really, you know, kind of that connection point or those things that maybe you've kind of lost by being in isolation in our home, uh, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. Um, and one of, you know, the, the funny things I think that came of the sessions, an individual said, wow, Rena, this not only helps me personally, but it helped my team at work. I can work cross-functionally a lot better, but this also helped with myself. We're in the same place together now. I didn't really realize our communication styles were so different. I thought, you know, he, she, right? We're just being difficult. You know, so this is a life lesson tool that I can apply in other situations where I'm having, you know, conflict or, or miscommunication with someone. So, um, I'm, I'm all for it. We definitely need to do more of it, um, you know, from an HR perspective, if they think we've kind of gotten away from that or, or the level of sophistication on the tools has, has you know, maybe out surpassed some of the basics. 
I won't repeat, but I just launched a leadership series for this company because most of our colleagues have been ICs. I probably assumed a lot of things that people knew each other, but we did the disk profile, Stephen. And it was amazing to watch how people thought that was some special algorithm and they got some like special tool. <laughs> and I myself was surprising myself like, wow, like I sometimes overthink certain things. And these are the things they need to do their job. And I had a lady call me last week saying, hey, remember what was taught in class? This, I want to tell you about a team meeting I had with my boss. Uh, and this is what's going on. I'm going to do this. What do you think? I said, okay, gave us some feedback. Now I have the reverse of everybody coming to me. But the reality is that those tools that you guys talked about are things that will help our colleagues improve culture, improve the way they feel about work, and hopefully create more function than dysfunction, I personally, hands up, would say I took it for granted and I, I fully agree with you guys. I've taken it for things. granted. I'll put it back in my toolkit. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, think, think about it. Think about it. We've all been isolated, working remotely on our own, and then to also be isolated as the only driver or the only you know compliance-oriented person on my team and not having the, the people to talk to or the outlet that I would normally have through HR or my business partner or whomever, like that's, you know, that's even more isolating. So, um, so I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be needed as we, you know, we're all going to need some training wheels coming back into the hybrid workforce, in my opinion, or at least I will. <laughs> you need a yeah. lot. Agreed. <laughs> As the uh, the only individual contributor on the call, I will I will give a plus one um, to the idea of having these assessments because, as somebody that's been at a company for a year and a half, and I haven't met ninety percent of the people that I work with, it can be tough, you know, just getting things done because there is a lot of cross functional work, and when you don't understand how somebody ticks or how they like to be communicated with it can make things challenging. And a lot of times it's a guessing game trying to figure out how they operate best. But if you did have that, you know, fun, as you said, Kristen, maybe a little bit corny exercise where you're learning about your teammates. I think that it, it builds connection and you're, you're learning how people want you to work with them. And uh, I don't know. So I, I think that's a great idea. So to wrap up, we wanted to do something um, that we do for other calls. We always end, the, we always end the, the, the conversations with rapid fire questions. So this last question is for each of you. What do you think is the one action that all companies should be taking to keep their best talent? I would say having one-on-ones and having conversations with everybody. Um, I have found the power of stay conversations happen in powerfully asking people what they want. Still fun piggybacking off of that. Um, it's something that we live in and breathe here at Kush. Uh, we started a new mantra. If you see something, if you feel something, if you think something, say something. I repeat this every Monday. The team is so tired of hearing it, but you know what? We, we, the power of that for things, it's like, hey, Rihanna, not really sure, but can you go look at that thing over there? Seems a little off, right? And, and we've been able, I think, to save a number of employees or have the opportunity to engage in that conversation to understand what's going on 
to make sure that, you know, we're both making the best decision from that employee as an individual and then also from a company perspective. So again, we, we've mantraed it. We, we, we need our managers. We need you to understand. We need you engaging with your employees and we need you then to bubble that up. However minor you think it might be, give us the opportunity to, you know, um, seek to understand what's happening. We're not cool enough to have a mantra like that, but um, I, I, I definitely see value in the proactive as opposed to the reactive conversations. And I think that's, you know, something Dilshan, you and Rihanna both kind of noted. And so often we just take for granted that people are not at risk, right? And then we try to, you know, pull some sort of competing offer together or a retention offer together. And it, it needs to be a lesson for all of us and for all of us to coach our teams and our leadership teams that those stay conversations and understanding what is important for Lindsay, for her development is not the same as what's important for Rihanna and her development and being individualized and how you're tailoring and interacting with, with each of your employees, because especially, I mean, especially your top talent, right? People who you need to stick this out with you, like they need to feel valued and you need to tell them that it's not just like, oh, they know Kristen appreciates me. Like you need to tell them that. Absolutely. Fully agree with you. I think we often forget to, I would say, care or appreciate our top talent and don't always say that. I fully agree with you on that. Yeah, I was going to um, say that is, uh, you know, you think about the old school talent reviews and your nine box and you dust it off and you create little development plans. Well, you better put that on steroids this year because <laughs> it's no time like the present to really understand what it is that they're looking for and ensure that they're getting fulfillment at work. Um, and, and also, I think um, people do leave for pay, but they leave because they're not fulfilled and they leave managers. So I think investing in managerial talent, their ongoing growth and development will transcend down to the rest of the organization. Wholeheartedly agree. Well, thank you, everyone. I, th those were all great answers. Sorry, Stephen, are you going to say something? No, I was just going to say this has been so awesome. You know, it was at Daniel's idea to get to get the band together with you guys, and it's just been a lot of fun. So thank you so much for agreeing to, to rejoin us, and hopefully we can, we can all come together again in the future. But this was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Talk to you later. Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of the Modern People Leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can, you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode.